Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to On The Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm David Cartledge. On this edition, come on England, come on England, versus Italy. Will it be a rerun of the Euros final or an opportunity for the three Lions to make amends for nearly a generation of hurt? Also, after Barca beat Madrid yet again, that's three in a row. Is El Clasico still the premier match in club football? Yeah, you see what I did there? And as he announces his retirement from football, whatever happened to Mesut Ozil? And what will his football legacy be? Arsenal, Real Madrid or Germany? In no particular order. We have to talk about the big international match of the week. And it's taking place in Naples, Andy. England versus Italy, or should I say it the other way around? Will it be a rerun, or is it? do you expect it to be part two? Well, look, there can be no penalties this time, and I think we all have to be uh, fairly thankful for that in the circumstances. Look, it, it matters every time England play. I, I don't think you can get away from that. Um, but I think there's added significance to this because 
it's so important to Italy as well, having not been involved with the World Cup. Um, they need to get back to the, the Euros, of course, to defend their their title um, when we get to 2024 in, in, in Germany. And I guess because they've been absent from the World Cup, we need to bring Italy into focus a, a, a little bit more because they've been absent from the last two World Cups. It's such an unprecedented situation to have the champions of Europe fail to even make it to the World Cup, let alone the fact that a team of the size, the stature, the history of Italy doesn't make it to two World Cups in a row. That I think we can take our eye off them a little bit. And you can think, okay, Mancini, who arrived to take over the Italian national team with a sort of reforming mandate, he must be ripping it up and starting all over again. But he's really not. It's quite a familiar squad. And I think there's reason in that to an extent, because if you go back and look at the qualifying campaign with which they failed to get to the World Cup, no one ever wants to look at the detail when you're Italy and you don't make it to the World Cup, and quite rightly so, because it's so short of where they should actually be. But they had so many opportunities to actually seal qualification, to genuinely seal qualification, and failed to do it. So I think for Mancini, once he was convinced to stay on, to be sensible enough to just make a a few little changes rather than go out and throw out the baby with the bathwater is is probably quite important. I agree with that. I I didn't think it even needed ripping up. I just think they needed to tweak a few things to make them a bit more of a ruthless, you know, a a clinical outfit. I still don't really think they're there um, in terms of that. I think there's a lot of experimentation going on with certain parts, not obviously the whole overall team or squad, but I think in certain parts, and it seems to me that Mancini is particularly concerned, I think, about their progress um, when it comes to having a, a regular striker. And that's that's a big thing for him. I mean, he spoke about that in the build-up, didn't he? The mm. fact that um, Skamaka not playing every game for West Ham mm-hmm. is a massive pain for him. The discussion so far might be somewhat academic. It's important when you talk about England versus Italy, yes. But going forward, he's been saying, look, the reason we didn't qualify, or at least he's been saying, it's not surprising that we didn't qualify for the World Cup because most of our players, you know, most of the, given he's been comparing it to Serie A and saying most of the players in Serie A are foreign players. We ain't got enough Italians playing in Serie A, so it's not so surprising that we might underperform and not get into the World Cup. In fact, this is the question from Ben, I think it's Bain E. Steele, or Benistior, apologies if I got that wrong, on Instagram, will Serie A's lack of homegrown players catch up with Italy in this tricky qualifying group? There's a lot at stake in this match, isn't um, there? Yeah, there is. I have to say, this is a, a really interesting approach from Mancini to, to, to talk about this because um, no, it's, it's not as if Serie A has a lower proportion of homegrown players than the Premier League. For example, but we've had the discussion it, here as well, haven't we? In the past, yes, and I, I think it's a bit of an outdated discussion, to be perfectly honest, for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because you're never going to stop top-level club football being multinational, and nor should you. The idea, as well, if you look at other countries which have introduced limits 
on overseas players. And I'm thinking in the past, Russia, Turkey, for example. Has that improved the quality of the players going into the national team? No, no, it hasn't. What is done really is in some ways affected those players negatively because what it's done is because teams need a, a, and clubs need a greater proportion of homegrown players that pushes up the price of homegrown players those players become overvalued and let's let's face it in say england that english players being overvalued has, has been a problem anyway in 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 the past and all all it does is 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 really distort the the, the transfer market. Does it improve those players? I, I don't think it does at all. And none of those national teams that have come from leagues that have tried to affect that have seen any real positive benefits out of it. I thought I thought you had a great point. I really do. And he brought up the you know I think there's been a lot of press recently about how successful Italian teams have been in Europe uh, this time around this course around, and they have they've done well in the Champions League and Europa League. But I think he does have a point. Um, share of minutes played this season by Italian players in Serie A is 38, th- sorry, 33.8%. Only 28% of the goals scored this season in Serie A have come from Italian players. I think, I think that's an interesting point, that last one. Those we are, go back to the striker discussion. Those, yeah, th- those are really concerning. Now, let's, we'll have to you know, target in on this and the fact that Mancini is extremely concerned about strikers above all. That's why he's called up Simone Profundi. 17-year-old from Udinese hasn't even started the game this season. I think he's only recorded about 20 minutes potentially, but yeah, he's only played. He hasn't. He hasn't played basically. So I think there's a desire on his part, and maybe he worded this wrongly. I think he's wanting the young players that are in Italian academies, Italian clubs, to get more minutes in the team. I think this is why he's called a Pafundi. Um, I think he is viewing him as not getting minutes at the club. He quite likes this player, clearly. He's not getting the minutes at the club, so he's thinking, okay, how do I actually see if he's any good? Oh, I know I'll do. I'll call him up, and I might give him some minutes as well. I'll see what he's like in front of me in training. I might give him some minutes on the pitch as well, see if there's anything about him. He's not obviously not going to be judged entirely on this performance, but he just wants a little look at him to see what's there. And I think that's what he wanted to say. I don't think he was saying, oh, we've got too many foreigners in the league. He's not. I don't think he's saying that. He's saying Italian clubs aren't giving chances to young Italian players. But that's no, exactly that... the conversation we had here as well. The point I'm trying to hear, though, is that there are two different ways of looking at this. You're saying you understand where Mancini is coming from, David. And you, Andy, are saying that that's an outdated way of thinking. When we look at Argentina, the team that won the World Cup, Mm. It's kind of the opposite perspective because they're looking at a team made up of players who are playing in those leagues where the homegrown players can't get a look in or as much of a look in as... I don't think the two points are completely impossible to reconcile because really we're talking about what you need is is, is player development, don't you? It's, It's not about giving opportunities to the wrong players. That's the important thing to come away from here. I guess the question I have with Mancini, when you look, you, you talked about um, one call up and that that really, that, you know, that's what Mancini has always done. Remember, he, he called up uh, Nicolo Saniolo before he'd played a, a first team game in, in, in Serie A. He called him up to his squad. Um, and from there, I don't think because of that, but from there, because of his talent, uh, Zaniolo went on to excel for Roma in, into his injuries. Obviously, Mancini would have included him in the squad this time. He says he's not fit enough. He's only just come back um, and, and started playing a few games for Galatasaray, for, for who he is not ready to play 90 minutes 
yet, by the way, um, as far as we can tell. The one that really interests me is uh, Matteo Retegui, who's played his whole career in Argentina, a striker who's qualified because his grandfather was born in Italy. And this, this is an extraordinary one because this is someone who's not at all on the radar of most Italian football fans. Currently out on loan from Boca at Tigre, where he's, he's scoring goals and looking pretty good. But is, it, is he called up because he's presenting an irresistible case to be called up? Or is he being called up because Man, Mancini's making a point saying, look, here you go, we're not producing the players, so I've had to go and fish it's, in it, Argentina. He, he's doing the classic Harry Redknapp thing. Remember when he didn't used to, he used to have a striker about, right? But he didn't name him on the bench because he knew the transfer window was coming up <laughs> and he wanted a striker in January. So he used to make a point. So maybe he's doing that. So there might be something there. I mean, maybe Retegui <laughs> will be really great. You know, we, we, we can't tell. But, you know, he, he did give a great quote this week, Roberto Mancini, where he said, there are Bellinghams here too. <laughs> so he, he seemed to be saying, we are producing the players at Massive hat tip to you, Bellingham, by the way. We are producing the players, but they're not getting the opportunity. See, the one that I'm, I'm not really at, sure that's the case. The but. one I'm looking at is Nonto, because we've seen what he can do for yeah. Leeds on the left wing, and it will be interesting to see what he can do for a national team. But that's a really interesting point, Nonto, because you talk about players getting the opportunity. What did Bellingham have to do? What did Sancho do? If you can't get the opportunity at home, take ownership of your career. Go and do it somewhere else. Gnonto, who said he's still in awe of Mancini because he was the the, the manager when uh, Gnonto first went there and when it, when he was in the Inter Academy. He was the, the manager of Inter at the time. And he said, I, I still can't believe I'm, I'm working with him and he's, mm-hmm. he's interested in me. But when he was in the Inter Academy, he thought, right, okay. I'm going to go off to Zurich and make my own way. And lots of people thought it was a weird move. Just like when Bruno Fernandes left the academy at Boavista and, and, and went off to play in, in the second division in Italy and thought, well, okay, I need to become more rounded as a footballer. I need to get some first team opportunities. He took ownership of it. Did, and I think you can see that personality in the way that Gnonto plays. Did he think, though, that he wasn't going to get the minutes in Italy? I guess. I guess. And that, that's what I mean. That's why I think mm. Mancini has a point. I mm. think he, what he is saying is a lot of these Italian players are stuck in academies and they are not getting the minutes that mm. they require. So they have to take ownership, like you say. But there's not, you're not, you're not going to get somebody who's smart like uh, every time like Nando and he made a decision to go abroad. Mm. And, and You know what I mean? Like that. It takes a lot of that age, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think it does. Yeah. I mean, Danny Olmo did it. He went to Croatia. I remember everybody absolutely ridiculed him for going to Croatia. Yeah. Like, What's he going there for? And then he mm. just, I mean, it worked out all right for him, to say the least. Yeah, back to Italy... Uh, in England, we do not normally beat the Italians. We beat them once in a, a generation, in, in 10 attempts, I think it is. Um, so it wouldn't be surprising, would it, for Italy to assume that this is going to be a replay of the uh, Euros final and that they'll come out on top in the end of it. Um the, yeah, Does that the, make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Euros final when Southgate absolutely bottled it. Um, yeah, um, I'm never going to resist that. Dude, so, <laughs> uh, so, so, so let me have that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Just I, explain that. Well, I think the game was there to be won and uh, he decided to regress. Um, and the Italy, Defend. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Italy players saw that. I think Chiellini himself actually said it and said a few of the Italian players looked at each other and were a bit like... Mm-hmm. What's going on here? They were a little bit surprised. And they're like, all right, we'll, we'll go for it now. Do you agree with that? Well, I, I don't know, because I, 
I, I can under, I can understand that. You know, England were in a, a a really positive position in that, and maybe failed to totally capitalise on it. But I think when England play in a reactive way, I don't think it's a terribly bad thing. I mean, I think of like the key away performance. Like, say, if you were going to take a a performance as a template for this, you would probably say winning away against Spain in Seville. Wouldn't yeah, you? yeah, you would that, that that is the definitely. one. And that's on the counter. Yeah. So, you know, I don't think they're going to go there and, and try and dominate in Naples from the beginning. And I don't think they necessarily should either. It, then should we perhaps talk about not so much England v Italy, but Mancini v Southgate, two philosophies or two different ways of approaching a national game? Yeah, and I think that's a really good point you make there because um, the way they approach things for the national team is very, very different to club. The way that Mancini, nothing in his club career suggested that Mancini would approach the Italy job like he has. I think they have to concentrate really hard on not what's gone wrong recently and the fine margins of recently, but what worked well for him in the first place, how he lent into the characteristics, the modern characteristics of Italian football, how Italian football is now more front foot. And I have to say, sorry, England fans, I have said this before, so you, you, you'll get over it, that Italy won an international championship playing the way they did in Euro 2020 is globally a good thing. They were excellent then as well. I, I, I still think that game against Spain was one of the... Oh, that was the final. That's amazing. That, I, think, yeah. I think that was one of the best games of football I've probably seen in the past what, five, ten, so yeah. It, it, was, it, it was, was phenomenal. It was, it was amazing. On, on the other hand... Um, we talked about them lacking strikers. They're also lacking Federico Chiesa at the moment, who's who's coming back from an injury and he's having all these little niggles while he very gingerly makes his way back with Juventus. He was a huge player for them in the Euros. Although Spinazzola back on Spinazzola Euro form is is, is a good thing. Yeah, it's not the Even same. Even if he's nominally the, it's certainly the, not the it's same. Not the same. It's certainly not the same Italy. <clears throat> now, you both know what the jeopardy of being a football pundit is. You know what's coming now. Uh, who's going to win it, David? Italy. Draw. Andy, draw, draw. draw. <laughs> You're sitting on the middle of the road again. You're going to get run over by both sides. <laughs> but this question, it's not just about England and Italy, is it? In terms of uh, the qualifiers, this round of the qualifiers, cherry, the berry, one, two, three. I love to say that. I'll say it again. Cherry, the berry. <laughs> it is poetic. Cherry, the berry, one, two, three on Instagram says, are there any countries that we should look out for in this round of qualifiers that might surprise us? In terms of surprise, I, I, I want to have a proper look at Norway because um, I think a lot of people will be looking for them to qualify for Euro 2024. A lot of neutrals, obviously, because they'll want to see Erling Haaland in it. Erling Haaland is, is not fit to play in this international window, which is a blow to Norway as they want to get off to a good start. Well, in, after in scoring 900 goals the other day. Well, it's, he's probably tired. <laughs> but uh, ho- hopefully he's, he's, he's back sooner rather than later for, for all concerned. But it is a is a blow in the short term. What it is also is an opportunity to show that Norway are, are building something. Now, of course, they have uh, Alex Sorlot, who's playing well again for Real Sociedad. He's, he's, he's played well this season. Um, he's been the recipient of that man of the match fish, David, as well, which is yeah, uh, always a, a, a delightful <laughs> gift. Um, it's like a fish or a nice big uh, ham joint. <laughs> what what, what, uh, more would, what more could a Norwegian want? Fish <laughs> going on. I'm the only person who doesn't know. 
It's, a, it's, it's an actual genuine fish. Okay, you get yeah, a fish. I'll, I'll send you the picture as well. Man Everyone of looks... the match fish. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah, yeah. special. You... But but I think as as, as well, you, you look at not just uh, Martin Odegaard playing so well for oh, Arsenal at the moment, amazing. but also uh, Frederick Arsenis of, of Benfica, who I've, I've said before, I think could be their next big sale. He has been that good since he's arrived from Feyenoord. He's been absolutely fantastic. He was asked about it this week and he was like, well, really? I don't, I don't think he even um, sort of gilded it by saying, uh, with all due respect to my former colleagues from Feyenoord, he said, well, if you play with better players, you're going to be better, aren't you? And, and there he is in the in the quarterfinals of the Champions League as, as one of their best players. I think Norway are building a really, steadily building a really good team around Erling Haaland. Now, if they can carry it through with these last two games to set the table for when he comes back, then maybe they'll be getting themselves in the position to qualify for Euro 2024, where a lot of neutrals, I think, want to see him. Imagine if they click, David. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go and I always stick by them because I just think there's so much talent there. It's, it's hard to ignore. And uh, that's Serbia again. Ooh. Uh, they've got games against Lithuania and Montenegro. Um, that squad... So much talent, so much ability in there. They've also just had a massive boost with uh, getting Lazar Samadzic, very young player who played for Germany in the youth categories. And he's decided to to play for, for Serbia over Germany. And Germany really courted him. There's a lot of clubs generally uh, courting him at the moment. But yeah, Serbia, they, it, at some point it really has to click there. I don't know if... Uh, <laughs> How many, you know, you get so many nations who waste golden generations or great generations. You know, this is maybe not a golden generation, but Belgium. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we can rail them off, can't we? You know, but yeah, at some point it's surely going to click. So I'd be saying watch Serbia over these next couple of games, see if they've learned the lessons, I think, of the, you know, the World Cup, what they had. I thought they were, they lost the discipline quite a little bit. I think they, you know, they played some really nice football as well. And it's it's easy to forget because of how it all went down in the end. But yeah, I'm I'm, I'm always watching for Serbia. For, so when you, when you mentioned discipline, do we have to mention Mitrovic? <laughs> I think we have to mention Mitrovic. Okay, yeah. I'm just checking. Check <laughs> but it's okay, this is what I mean. Even if Mitrovic wasn't there, they've got some great attackers. You've got Vlavic who can step in, so it's, it's good for them. Okay, talking of Mitrovic, uh, centre forwards, great striker. There is the striker of all strikers, Mbappe, to discuss very quickly on this round because he's just been made the captain of France. Now, I don't know about you, but I thought the French captain was always going to be the person who'd been... Uh, in the team the longest it automatically gets the armband at least some nations do that and you wonder and maybe why... so did he maybe uh, you uh, know maybe Antoine Griezmann was expecting this as well a, a few people have been blindsided uh, by this I mean is it fair to say David that the way that Griezmann has reacted to this publicly has been what you might describe as pathologically nice yeah incredibly so I think he knows you know you, you don't step on the toes of the golden boy um, the golden boy of club, the golden boy now of country as well. Who knows, it might be even intrinsically linked. And PSG have said, come on, we need to keep this guy happy. We need to keep him in France. Yeah, Give him the captaincy. Um, but Griezmann yeah. was the golden boy of France in the World Cup, wasn't he? Life comes at you fast. <laughs> and then Mbappe has come at Griezmann very fast. And everybody else. So... It's in part the way it's understandable. Look, like I said, for the reasons I've just given, he's the golden boy. I understand it. But Griezmann's been phenomenal for France. He hasn't put a foot wrong. He's often been their best player at the tournaments. Um, incredibly intelligent player. I will still say he's one of the most intelligent players that's playing football right now at a top level. 
Um, no, it hasn't put a foot wrong. I don't understand if there was some indiscipline somewhere or failed or or whatever like that. But uh, yeah, it's just it's just come out of nowhere. And I've been blindsided about this as well. It will Mbappe. Well, is this the right move for somebody you want to concentrate on? Uh, it's a very schoolboy way of doing it, isn't it? Making your best player captain. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it, it's, yeah, it, it yeah. strikes me a, 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 a little a little bit as that. Look, I think Griezmann is such a, a leader in every way. I guess the way you sell it is he doesn't need the armband to be the leader <laughs> of the team. And that's that's what he is for, for, for France and, and Atletico. Although I can yeah, understand why he might be a little bit disappointed by it. Okay, enough of that. Let's talk Classicos. Or El Clasico, David. Once upon a time, there was only one Clasico. I wonder whether it's as classic as it used to be, given uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona the other day, where Barcelona beat Real Madrid for the third time. We know what's going to happen. There, there isn't that that jeopardy of a Clasico about it anymore, is there? No, I don't think it has as much appeal. Definitely, I don't think anyone can argue that. Um, I think at one point it was football Super Bowl. It was... yeah the most remarkable event. Four times a season. Yeah, for the coaches, for the players, for the histrionics involved, for the for the player involved as well, everything. It was just a perfect melting pot and people were disgruntled, of course, at some of the antics that went on in there. But at the end of the day, it made it what it was. It was, you could not take your eyes off it. Now, you don't even, there's a lot of people who don't even put their eyes on it. Um, it just isn't, doesn't have mass appeal. The, the same, the players just aren't as of a high quality anymore. And look, this is no disrespect. I mean, obviously, we know Benzema is fantastic and such, and Modric is fantastic, but it just doesn't have just that mass appeal in terms of the players who are involved. It doesn't. You take away Messi and Ronaldo, who've obviously been the greatest players in, in the sport, then you are going to have a bit of a, you, you know, you're going to lose a little bit of an interest in it. That's, that's completely understandable. Um, just, I think, where the two clubs are as well. I think Barcelona is still in a transition stage as well, looking to find their next identity. I think they have an idea where it is and they're working towards it. Um, I think Real Madrid are also caught in a strange position at the moment, especially in the time around this game came around with Ancelotti under a lot of pressure. Obviously, they, they had that incredible moment um, against Liverpool as well, where they dominated Liverpool and it was a bit of a throwback to what Real Madrid can really do. But ultimately, they are also, they've got eyes on their next stage of their development as well and <laughs> might not even involve Ancelotti. So, yeah, it's, it, El Clasico in Spanish football as a whole is an interesting place, largely because of these two. I think that's it, isn't it? That this would have been like if we go back five, six years, like a rare moment of like water cooler football, really, wouldn't it? You know, something that everyone had watched, everyone had discussed. And like, if you think of here in the UK, it's on ITV now, which is brilliant, by the way. You know, the more free football on television, the the the, the better, as I always say. I think it's a great thing. Nothing's free, the, particularly by adverts. Uh, yeah, but uh, <laughs> for the people for the people watching it. Certainly. Um, and I think it's particularly important um, in the economic climate that we find ourselves in. But like everyone would have been watching this uh, a, a few years ago. Whereas now some people watched it, some people didn't. And in a superficial way, it ticked a lot of the Classico boxes. You've got um, a really keenly contested match, um, a bit of mild controversy. You've got Frank Kessier scoring the winner two minutes into stoppage time to all, all but seal the, the, the deal in La Liga for Barcelona this season. You've got this chip off the pitch where you've got the 
Caso Nogueira, the, um, the, the case of Barcelona being investigated for making payments to a former refereeing committee member's company over a number of years, something that looked like it was going to die a death and then has, has turned out to be a little bit bigger than people thought it was. And um, Barcelona have been formally accused of corruption by prosecutors although La Liga have not got on board and said they're, they're going to punish them yet or any, anything like that. Real Madrid have obviously reacted with exactly the sort of indignation that you, that you would expect. So, you know, there's it, it's, it's brought back some of that 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 chip, some of that morbo, I guess you would call some uh, call it some of um that that sort of sense of them being genuine polar opposites again, which is, has, has maybe been lost a bit over the years. But still, it didn't quite hit the spot. How much do you think of that, David, is to do with the sort of football that Barcelona play under Xavi when we expected a very different sort of football under Xavi? Yeah, absolutely. I think that used to be the cl- one of the biggest appeals of the, the old games. Was the aesthetics. You, yeah, yeah, the aesthetics of it. You had Barcelona and who were so true to their style and they told everyone about it and then you had Real Madrid and especially when they were with Mourinho as well who were the just the complete polar opposite of that um, whereas now I think you saw a really really tense game as well in, in Barcelona um, were just involved in that high emotional game I think against Man United where I think which they learned a lot in um, to be honest with you I really really do moving forward um, and, and they know that they can't go into games at full pelt um, and, and, and with all that they can use their youthful energy that they have because they have some brilliant young players and they, they look to do that they used to, they look to dominate physically I think against Real Madrid because if you look there you know you Cruz and Modric aging players Benzema who was not fully fit for me at all and I don't think should have even played that game but Real Madrid made a decision not to get another striker you think so, it's uh, slightly harsh that Ass gave him 0 out of 10 the uh, uh, Madrid day, daily I, I think that's brutal I really do <laughs> ben, ben, Benzema always gets a bottom line 7 from me when he goes into a game just because he's Karen Benzema <laughs> and he just I do it there yeah. from there so yeah you go um, so yeah so it was a bit of a struggle for them and like I say I think there's like I mentioned on the intro there to this game um, there's a lot going on at Real Madrid as well in terms of of where they are, whether to stick or twist with with Ancelotti. Um, I think they're still figuring out that midfield as well, post Cruz, Modric, and who plays what specific role. They've got three brilliant midfielders there, young midfielders in Chuameni, Camavinga, and Valverde, and they need to figure out, um, you, you know, what their roles moving forward are as well. Of course, the football is important, but when we're talking about why the Clasico is not quite. El Clasico anymore are we not talking as well about the entertainment side of it particularly when you're you're offering the match free on terrestrial television mm. um, at one point these two teams had huge totems in Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi and they were the Ali versus Frazier or but are we talking when we're talking about that are we talking about entertainment or are we talking about profile because you know I think that I think that if you share the spectacle of not just Cristiano and Messi, but as David was saying, Guardiola and Mourinho, you think their rivalry was an apex when they were um, Real Madrid and Barcelona that they never even came close to in mm. Manchester. It was too intense, as we've said before. Neither of them wanted any of that again. It was just too much. It was it was almost unbearable 
the level of tension. Yeah, the media the tried to do rivalry. it, but they just didn't want it, and it was so visible as well that they didn't yeah. want part of it. Honestly, that 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 rivalry aged everyone involved by I think about ten years. It was that intense yes. in Spain. Yeah, that that level of classical was incredible. You 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 can't maintain that though. It is too intense. So you can't maintain it as well. The same players, the same characters aren't going to be there as well. You've got to look at those teams outside of Messi and Ronaldo as well. You had all, pretty much all the Spain team uh, <laughs> along those two sides. Yeah. You had just gargantuan international players involved in both. You had your, you had your Pepe's as well and, and, and people like this. And it was, it was just massive on every level. I mean, and everybody could tell you a moment from those old Clásicos. I guarantee if you ask somebody who's not a Real Madrid or Barcelona fan, oh, tell me like, some of the best moments of Clásicos of the past two or three years. It'd be really hard pushed. I'd mm. even say they couldn't name one. It's but, just not but that spectacle. I just wonder if it matters that much to the... It's it's El Clasico because we buy into it. Mm. We buy into Frazier versus Ali, as I started mm-hmm. out with, or we buy into Deontay Wilder versus Fury, or we buy into Jake Paul versus KSI, for goodness sake. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. If we If we believe that it's worth watching because there are these two giants pitched against each other then I'm not saying that the football doesn't matter. It's important, just like the World Cup final. Mm. It was really important that it was Mbappe versus Messi because we all hooked. We got we, It was hype beforehand and it delivered on the pitch. Yeah, they both delivered, but I don't think classical delivers anymore. So I think everyone... Why, though? Because, Why? Every, why, because of lots of different... everything you said. Just what we've, yeah, what we've gone over as well. I also think as well, I think if you look at the way football is played in Spain at the moment as well, so I think it's even slower than it was before. There's a lot more fouls, a lot more stoppages. Spain's the league right now that has the ball out of play the most out of the top five European leagues as and well. And that's before we get to the cards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And look, I know that all the games had their issues as well, but I think you had a lot more football in both of them. I think there was a lot more tactical work going on. But I think in these two right now, the quality's just dropped off. And like I say, it's very, very hard to maintain that. You mentioned the World Cup. Messi delivered. Mbappe delivered. So everybody went in with an expectation of that game and it completely delivered. I think people go in with an expectation of classical being the greatest club football game in the world for atmosphere and, and just the spectacle but they are disappointed when they watch it because they expect something higher you've explained it really well before we leave this topic though um, you mentioned a couple of times uh, about um, Ancelotti uh, what happens to him after the summer a very good friend of ours uh, assures me uh, and you know who he is he assures me that there are members of the Brazilian um, uh, national team over here uh, you know the directors and everything over here at the moment um, expecting to have a conversation with Carlo Ancelotti, or maybe they're in Spain, who knows where they are. But the point is, it seems like uh, Brazil are in the lead for his signature to come and manage them later on this summer. He's going to be gone, though. Is, is, is there any doubt about that from Real Madrid? I, I, I don't think... I think it's more likely than not. Yeah. Um, but the idea that Real Madrid's domestic form is too connected to Ancelotti's future... I. I don't think he's really correct. Because for them, the big thing will always be winning the Champions League. How the rest of the Champions League rolls out will decide whether they want to keep him and, I think, whether he wants to stay. David, just off the back of that, whilst we're talking about Carlo Ancelotti, this question from Mandy on Instagram, who is the most likely to replace him? I've already heard murmurings about Jose Mourinho going back to, well, the scene of the last time he was there. I was going to say, it's not the scene of one crime, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't to it down to that. I didn't want to mention crimes, particularly when they're up it's in court for all sorts of things. Yeah. <laughs> um, never go back. 
to yeah. your ex. That's mm. all I'm saying there. Yeah. No, Mourinho, no, no. It, it's it, it's been and gone that time. I I genuinely think it would there would be a lot more problems than solutions with Mourinho returning. So yes, don't yeah. don't go back to Mourinho. Okay, um, Mandeep, thanks for that. And also, if you want to get in touch at any time during the week. Uh, do feel free at any point at Football Ramble at Dawson Adibio Andy Brassel and at Davy Jacket If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. Look, we have to, on this edition of OTC, mention the retirement of one of the great footballers that I think, you know, modern European football has seen. He, he doesn't get the credit for that. This one, I really want to talk to you both about where 
or what the legacy of Mesut Ozil is. Um, of course, Real Madrid is part of that legacy. Arsenal is a really important part of that legacy, I would have thought. And Germany doesn't seem to be part of that legacy for Mesut Ozil. Which is a real shame. I, I agree. I thought it was the most notable thing when he um, put out his statement on social that he thanked every one of his clubs but didn't mention Germany in it. And that that struck me as profoundly sad. Not surprising, but profoundly sad. And it reminded me of the fact that despite the 2014 World Cup, the way in which he left, particularly after 2018, that he felt that um, he had been really thought of as less German, really, because it had it had all gone wrong, and that no one really stuck up for him. Uh, that that was obviously an incredibly isolating moment for him. Now he made, he made a few exceptions of, of of people in the squad who who did stick up for him, but um, to to feel that you know you and this like band of brothers really who'd enjoyed such an incredible moment in Brazil in, in, in 2014, you know, the pinnacle of, of, of most footballers' careers, to then go from that to a point where when it had gone wrong, he felt like he was the scapegoat and he was cast out by his country. I can't imagine how lonely that must have felt. The The thing that strikes me about Ozil is... In in some ways, quite a contradictory character. I, I think I think it's fair to say, is that it, it, he was he was first cast out by Germany, obviously, and then cast out by Arsenal. And I think the sad truth of that is, I mean, people will say, well, it went contrary to uh, the commercial interests of the club because uh, he spoke up, up for Uyghur Muslims, and that went against Arsenal's interest in China which is true to an extent. What is also true is that by that point, he had not only ceased to be useful to Arsenal in a playing sense, but he was a drain on them. And in what was kind of an echo of the Gareth Bale situation at Real Madrid, pretty much as soon as they'd signed that contract extension with Mesut Ozil, they regretted it. It was costing them an enormous amount of money. Um, they realised he was he was he was past his best, and so they did everything to get rid of him. And in many well, ways, not to get rid of the sporting director who said, "Let's extend his, his yes, contract." Yes, uh, and that's right because in in many ways, I think Arsenal did what Real Madrid have done numerous times, and when they've been stuck with a deal that they no longer want to pay for a player. They try and demonise that player in public subtly to say, well, this guy's, you know, just to try and lead the fans to believe, well, th th this guy's basically doing nothing and taking money off the club. You know, absolving themselves of all responsibility for giving him the contract in the first place. I, I do understand what you mean, because there was that feeling amongst the fans that Andy talks about, David, that... Look at him. He's just sloping along the field. What's he doing? You yeah. know, and you wonder whether the club could have done more to support him in the way, because I think this is tied to what we are referencing with regards to Germany. The guy wins the World Cup with Germany mm -hmm. and then he becomes a little too Muslim but, for, yeah, but for, for some people. He did say, when we win, I'm German. When we lose, I'm an immigrant. 
Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. he yeah. literally said that before. He's a yes star beta, as they would have called so, it in Germany. So it's completely it's completely understandable, and I agree with absolutely everything that Andy has said there. And I will say, you know, you, you made a great point, and I'm about that as well. But what he said about the sporting director as well, why didn't they go as well? And, and eventually they did, and Arsenal have moved on now to be a completely different club in terms of not handing out these ridiculous contracts. Look, I want to get I want to get back to Ursula as well because for me personally, one of the most aesthetically pleasing players I have seen play in the Premier League. Look, I I I grew up on first players. I you know his type that I enjoyed: Pablo Aymar, Juan Carlos Valeron, mm. and they're of that same type. Not physically towering or dominating, but the way that they read the game, played the game, touched the ball, moved the ball was beautiful and Ozil falls into that category and that's why he will always be he, he is one of the greatest attack midfielders to play in the Premier League history he when he was at Real Madrid um, they didn't have a problem with it he was probably one of the greatest players in Europe at the time when he was at yeah, Real Madrid I think that's a very different situation I think when you think of Ozil's career I think you would say Ozil the player Real Madrid Ozil the totem Arsenal because he stands for something different he represents something different there and he's vastly misunderstood at Arsenal for that reason now at Real Madrid they've got such an incredible team at the time they can take him off after 70 minutes after he's he's done his best and you know Cristiano Ronaldo absolutely loved him, yeah. by the way. The amount of goals that he created for him with his passing, his, his vision. His vision his and decision-making are incredible. When everybody talks about counter-attacks, they talk about speed, they talk about pace, they talk about power. But you need somebody who can make, in a blink of an eye, an timing. incredible decision. And Ozil was about that. 80 assists across three seasons. Averaging about 27 a season <laughs> in his time. Extraordinary. It is extraordinary. Really is. I think the thing is, though, when he moves across to Arsenal. I remember one of the transfer deadline days I remember the best is when he signed for Arsenal because I think I've said this to you before, Dotton, you don't really in London get the explosion of spontaneous joy on the streets where people don't really even make eye contact in in public. Whereas when, you know, I think it was... um, I think it was Grant Williams from Sky Sports who who was presenting and uh, in front in front of the Emirates and announced that he'd signed, and everyone goes crazy. And then all of a sudden, like for the next hour, you've got people stopping traffic around the Emirates, dancing in the street, yes, yes. doing a conga, yes. doing the oops upside your head dance in the middle of the road, all that sort of stuff, <laughs> all the way because, up the Seven Sisters Road to because, Tottenham. Because, well, maybe not that far, but but I, I think you look at the the. the the hope and the possibility represented that a player, as David says, who captures the imagination like that, that was coming to play for our club, mm-hmm. Arsenal fans thought. And that was fantastic. And so first, he's a totem of of hope and a new future. And then he's a totem to this culture of wastage later on. 42 and, million and, quid. And neither, well, I meant in terms of the wages, really. Oh, okay. Once they've renewed his, his, his contract. Mm-hmm. Neither of those are things you can put on him, I don't think. And in the middle, actually, if you analyse it, he adapts the Premier League really, really well. Now, people think of it, you say, um, or you were saying before, that sense that, you know, he's got that slightly nonchalant air to him, which is part of his brilliance, of course. If you actually look at the running numbers going into, say, the back, back off his first season at Arsenal and the second season and third season, 
the running statistics are very, very good. They're much better than he gets himself Premier League fit. He almost makes himself into a box-to-box midfielder. Whether he should have become that is, is a different question. But the idea that Ozil didn't knuckle down and properly attempt to adapt to the Premier League and succeed in a large way is simply nonsense. If you think of when Arsenal beat Bayern Munich in the Champions League uh, at the Emirates where um, Giroud scores the first. This is Guardiola Bayern Munich, by the way. This is good, good, good Bayern Munich before Arsenal start sort of Groundhog Day losing to them by several goals in, in, in the last 16 in the Champions League. The second goal scored by that in Ozil, uh, by Ozil, deep into stoppage time, he makes a lung-busting late run into the penalty box to to finish it off. It's the most... There's so many un- misconceptions around him. Yes. Basically. Yes. Yeah. This is why Galliano on Twitter asks, what's his legacy like at Real Madrid? Is he remembered with any particular fondness by fans or club officials? I think we've done that part justice. Yeah. Just- and, and look, to put a bottom line on that, he was part of one of the greatest counter-attacking teams that anyone has ever seen. He, he, he was. The Real Madrid's counter-attacks that year. You, you go on YouTube right now and see 20, 40, 50, 60 goals of what they scored in different counter-attacking units and Ozil was a part of some of those as well. That's so, the thing. Everyone remembers that uh, Guti assist for Benzema yeah. at Deportivo La Coruña. Ozil's got tens of those. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but I don't want to leave this conversation with just a final word on what he went through, you know, the racism that he had to endure in the midst of all of this, winning the World Cup, etc. Do you think that would have happened today? Was he a player that was just unfortunately, in the not unfortunately, tragically almost, in the circumstances he found himself in, at the wrong place, at the wrong era? Because I feel like the comparison I would make is I saw... All or nothing, the Arsenal all or nothing. And mm. it just straight after Bukayo Saka suffers all the abuse following the missed penalty at the finals of the Euro, you see him on the training pitch and Josh Kroenke flies over from the United States and says to him, an aside, look, remember that conversation I had with you on the phone? I meant every word about it. You kind of just about hear him saying, don't worry about them lot, you know, all those people abusing you. You know, we're here to support mm. you. Different Arsenal. It's different as well because we're talking about, in terms of that, we're really talking about the, the, the treatment he had from Germany and how he felt cast out from the German national setup. Now, I think. But Arsenal that, should have put the arm around him, is what sure, I'm saying. Sure, but I've, I think there are, there, there are two sides to, to that. And I think that the two sides to that with Germany are the fact that he had every right to feel upset and to feel hurt about the way he's he'd been treated, especially when he was one of the heroes of, of 2014. But I think a lot of people who would have stood up by him were alienated by his burgeoning friendship with President Erdogan. So that was something that liberal Germany found really, really difficult to, to square with itself. Now, I think that you've got to be very clear that you can say, okay, I don't agree with this part of what a person's doing, but we have to defend him and we have to protect him against this sort of treatment here. People are sometimes not very good at that, especially in modern media. People have to be treated in emphatics and, you know, there has to be a clear point made. Whereas reality is much, much more nuanced than that. And I think that is the case with Meza Ozil. 
It's time to hear your recommendations of Games of the Week. Uh, David, I must tell you that last week Andy pulled a blinder. He recommended Ajax versus Feyenoord and he got it right. So the pressure's on you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, I'm going for uh, on Friday night, uh, France. Welcome Ronald Koeman's Netherlands side to the start of France. Um, I think that's going to be an interesting one, even though news is coming through that uh, there's a bit of a bug in the Dutch camp. So there's a few bodies down. One of those people uh, is not Memphis Depay, who, is seven more, who has to score seven more goals to become the all-time top scorer in the history of the Netherlands. So think of all those players, your Bergkamps, Van Persie, Cruyff, Kluivert, Robin, Van Nistelrooy, Van Basten. Memphis, seven away from all time. But some people are seething at that. But me, I'm delighted. Koeman's not going to kiss him like Van Gaal. <laughs> oh, no. I, I just wanted to check on that. I think Van Gaal might re-emerge to kiss him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's leave that to one side. What's your recommendation? Um, I'm going to go for Sunday early evening. England versus Ukraine at Wembley. Ooh. I, I, I think this is huge, um, not just for England, but for Ukraine, because we said it matters every time England plays. It definitely matters every time Ukraine play at the moment. You know, they're representing um, something much bigger than, than, than football. Um, it's a pretty young squad, of, of, of course. Dinamo Kiev are not producing a lot of players for the international team at the moment, which is quite unusual. Uh, Shakhtar, on the other hand, have had to rebuild their side with young players this season. Some of those players have done really, really well in in, in the Champions League and um, in, the, in the Europa League, despite the way they went out against the aforementioned Feyenoord. And I, I know they'll receive an absolutely amazing reception um, from the English fans as well. So I think it'll be a, a great occasion and a great opportunity as well to, to spot some players who are going to be terrific in the future. Fish and chips? Oh yeah, no doubt about it, David. Oh, I'm I'm keeping it simple. I'm I'm just really enjoying croissants at the moment. You know? <laughs> I, I'm about one a day at the moment. I reckon you know I need I need to calm it down. So croissants, yeah, yeah. really flaky Par- Parisian ones. Bit of ham and cheese. I tell you what, seems like it's France Netherlands. Put a bit of Edam in there as well. <laughs> really, <laughs> real cultural melting pot there. <laughs> Put me off my croissants for life. <laughs> The Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options. In stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money.